Welcome back to First Words with First Farragut United Methodist Church. Thanks for joining us. This is the first of our Eastertide series entitled, Now What? All the post-resurrection disciples of Jesus did was tell the story of their experience with Jesus. They were still learning the vast implications of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. Reverend Martha Scott preaches from Acts 10, verses 34 through 43. church. Happy Easter. Today's scripture reading comes from Acts chapter 10 verses 34 through 43. Peter said, I am really learning that God doesn't show partiality to one group of people over another. Rather, in every nation, whoever worships him and does right is acceptable to him. This is the message of peace he sent to the Israelites by proclaiming the good news through Jesus Christ. He is Lord of all. You know what happened throughout Judea, beginning in Galilee, after the baptism John preached. You know about Jesus of Nazareth, whom God anointed with the Holy Spirit and endowed with power. Jesus traveled around doing good and healing everyone oppressed by the devil because God was with him. We are witnesses of everything he did, both in Judea and in Jerusalem. They killed him by hanging him on a tree, but God raised him up on the third day and allowed him to be seen, not by everyone, but by us. We are witnesses whom God chose beforehand, who ate and drank with him after God raised him from the dead. He commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one whom God appointed as judge of the living and the dead. All the prophets testify about him that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks Thanks be to God. God. He is risen. He is risen indeed, and that is why we gathered this morning to celebrate. I have not had a chance to greet you this morning. My name is Martha. I am the pastor here. It is wonderful to be worshiping with you on this beautiful Easter day after yesterday. Amen. It is, it is wonderful to be worshiping with you, and I'll echo what Rennie said. If you are here for the first time, we have a special gift for you at the, at the front desk right as you walked in. Please give us an opportunity to greet you, to see how we can uh, help you grow in your own faith journey, not just on Easter, but every day of our lives. In this scripture that Ivy just read for us, we, we only saw a portion of, the, of a, a portion of a conversation, the portion of a man named Peter. But it's actually a conversation between two people, and we'll get to that in just a minute. There's two people named Peter, one Peter and one Cornelius. Now, if we could put the context of this particular section of Scripture, this story, into a Netflix original hit drama, it would be Outer Banks. Anybody? I know there's some Outer Banks fans out there. I know you are. There we go. Thank you. One person. Thank you. We've got Marquise. Thank you. Outer Banks, I have to confess, my daughter's the one who turned me on to it, and I'm hooked. But Outer Banks is a Netflix original, and in that particular show, there are two types of people. There's a pogue and a kook. You're about to get an an, an Outer Banks preview here. A pogue and a kook. Now, those two types of people hate each other. 
In the storyline of the Outer Banks, there's one group of teenagers who are kooks, which are the wealthy people. They're the ones on the Outer Banks with the big yachts. They're the ones who spend the weekends at the yacht clubs, the country clubs, the golf clubs. They're very wealthy. And that's one group of teenagers. Then there's another group of teenagers who are called the pogues. As you might imagine, contrasting with the kooks, the pogues are, I'd say the working poor. We might, might even, yeah, the working poor. They live on the other side of the islands. They live in the rundown houses. Their boats aren't the yachts. They're more along the lines of the flat bottom fishing boats or a 40 or 50 year old barely making it shrimping boat. So those are the kinds of people, the kooks and the pogues. Now, as you might imagine, they don't get along very well. And in the storyline, both of these groups of teenagers are, they're essentially on a treasure hunt. And there's always conflict between those two groups of people. Trouble always happens when they interact. Biblically speaking, Peter and Cornelius are from two different groups of people. Biblically speaking, in the ancient Middle East, there were two types of people. There were Jews and there were Gentiles. The Jews were the people who believed in the one true God, and then there was everybody else. Everybody else was classified as Gentiles because they believed in multiple gods. Now, these two groups of people didn't despise each other based on wealth or, or lack thereof. They were just two different classes of people. And the Gentiles, for the most part, excuse me, the Jews, for the most part, felt that they were a little bit more elite. So we're going to, forgive me, Lord, for doing this, we're going to classify Peter as a kook because he thinks he's better than others. And Cornelius is going to be our pogue. For those of you who know the storyline, think of uh, Peter as topper. Let's put it that way. He's the kook. He's the wealthy guy. Then there's this other guy named John B. He's the pogue. He's the poor guy. Now, Cornelius has sent for Peter. That would be like John B., the poor person, sending for the wealthy person and the wealthy person coming at his request to grant whatever favor he would possibly want. It just doesn't happen. Just doesn't happen. No right-minded Jew would be caught dead in Cornelius' house. But he went. What changed? Not only are they interacting with each other, they appear to be welcoming each other with open arms, learning from each other, learning with each other, conversing with each other, and actually getting along. What changed? What could possibly bring about such a transformation that would break down centuries-old walls and barriers that had been constructed? The answer to that is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. To date this particular story between Peter and Cornelius, it takes place, most scholars believe, somewhere between five, maybe as much as eight years after the resurrection of Jesus. On Easter Sunday, we tend to focus on those stories in the Gospels, we call them, that tell us about the day that the women and the people went to the tomb, focusing solely on that day of resurrection, and rightly so, because it is Easter. But when we do that, we sometimes forget that Easter and the resurrection of Jesus were really only the beginning of the story, not the end. When Jesus' closest followers, whom we call disciples, at that time went to the tomb and they discovered it was empty, they were stunned. 
They had seen Jesus draw his last breath. They knew Jesus was dead. No one expected to go back and find an empty tomb. So they're probably standing there going, wow, this is really cool. He's, he's, he's not here. But what does that mean? That's a question that many of us ask. Okay, there was a resurrection, but, but what does that mean? And essentially, the book of Acts, from which this scripture was taken, is a compilation of the rest of the story. What happened after Jesus' resurrection? It answers the question of, now what? Now what do we do? And it also addresses the notion that the resurrection of Jesus was not intended to do just one thing. Many of us have been taught that the resurrection of Jesus was so that we could go to heaven when we die. And that's true. That's true. But that's only part of the story. The rest of the story is that if resurrection can change the certainty and the finality of death, then it has the power to change us. Then it has the power to change our thoughts, our behaviors, our attitudes, and yes, even our broken world. The lesson that Peter learned in this interaction with Cornelius was some five to seven years after he stood before that empty tomb. What that proves to us is there's a lifelong journey of learning what it means. And it's evident in the way that Peter, when he arrives at Cornelius' house, says, now I see. Seven or eight years later, he says, now I see that God does not show partiality. In other words, Peter suddenly came to this realization that this division between these two types of people was really just a bunch of hooey all along. That God loves and welcomes all people. Now the part prior to what we read, because it's really, it's probably about 45 verses worth, we didn't read all of that. But the part prior to what we read, we would see that Peter had been praying the day before and he had a vision. It's, it's, it's a rather strange vision for our 21st century brains because in this vision, Peter saw this, this picnic, if you will, of all kinds of animals that Jewish people were forbidden to eat. And in this dream, a voice, an angel from God says, eat, take, partake. And Peter says, oh, no, 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 no. I would never do anything that would defile my religion while he's having that dream or that vision. Somebody comes along and knocks on the door. It's a messenger from this man named Cornelius. Now remember, Cornelius is not the type of people that Peter is supposed to mix with. And so he's hesitant. But God says, I got this. Go ahead. So they get up the next day. They go to Cornelius' house. And when he arrives at Cornelius' house, Peter... Cornelius tells Peter that he, Cornelius, had a vision the day before also. And he said, in this vision, he presumed that God had told him, Cornelius, to send for this man named Peter. So Cornelius says, I did. God told me to send for you. I sent for you. You're here. What do you have to say? Which is where Peter begins his speech, or his sermon, it actually is, with now I am certain God is not partial to certain people, but welcomes and loves all. 
Then he begins to recall the whole story. He speaks to Cornelius and he says, Surely you've heard of the events that have taken place these last few years. A man named Jesus claimed to be God in human flesh. He went around preaching good news, healing the sick. He told us to love all people. God's Holy Spirit filled him and he did amazing things. He healed the blind. He healed those who couldn't walk. He raised people to dead, from dead. He visited and socialized with the sinners and the outcasts, the, the crooked business people, the prostitutes. But then some people had him put to death. And we thought it was the end, but then we saw him alive. He's alive. And slowly but surely, we've been learning what this means and what it has to do with life. That's essentially what Peter is telling him. We are now learning the depth and the breadth of the meaning of his resurrection. And Peter began with, now I am certain God doesn't show partiality. It's a confession of sorts. Peter is confessing because prior to this, Peter did not feel he was supposed to socialize with Cornelius. But now he sees something new. The resurrection of Jesus wasn't just for certain people. It wasn't just for good church-going people or so that we could punch our ticket to get to heaven. It wasn't just so that we could continue living however we want but claim Jesus as Savior. It wasn't so that we could claim God as love but live as if God is not. It's a confession that Peter is making. In his book, Blue Like Jazz, and I thought I had a copy in my office, but I don't. Uh, it's about 20 years old, maybe 25 years old, something like that. It's an old book. But author Donald Miller, I think it might have been his first book, speaks of a confession booth. He, is, he and some friends are a part of a college, I think it was in Washington State, and it's a bit of a party college. And so the Christians, they say, in that particular college were the minority there was one particular weekend that was the party weekend at this particular college. Massive drunken party. And so Miller and his friends decide they want to come up with a way to witness to Jesus Christ on the campus in, about, or after, or around this party. So one of the friends in the groups, group suggested that they set up a confession booth after the party. To which Miller and his other friends said, are you crazy? They will flat out run us out of town. So the friend says, no, 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 no. Hear me out. Hear me out. We're not going to accept everyone else's confession. We're going to confess to them. Again, they said, why? What have we done? The point was to confess to everyone else the times in history that the church, universal church, has done harm in the name of Jesus. So the next day, they set up this confession booth. A few sluggish, hungover students walk around curiously, meandering and asking, what are you doing? And so one person saunters in and says, okay, dude, how's this work? Am I supposed to tell you everything I did last night and then suddenly I'm wiped clean? And Miller said, no, I'm going to confess to you. The guy said, why? What have you done? So they entered into this conversation. And beginning all the way back, crusades and before maybe, Donald Miller begins to confess on behalf of the universal church the way that the church has caused harm 
and hurt people through the centuries. On and on and on it went. And so finally, at the end of the conversation, the other guy was in tears. There have been so many walls built up over human differences. So many hurt people by the church when the church's job, when our calling is to witness to the grace, the mercy, the love, and the forgiveness of Jesus Christ. That is what we are called to do. And so on behalf of the universal church, if you fall in that category that has been hurt by the church for all that has happened from the dawn of creation up to today, may I apologize it has happened, and we are sorry because we are to be witnesses to the love and the grace of Jesus Christ. But let's be honest, we've managed to mess it up sometimes. We've managed to claim to be loving just as Jesus was, but sometimes our behavior doesn't remotely resemble that of Jesus. We have sometimes claimed to be welcoming of all ages, nations, races, all walks of life, but our words sometimes reveal a different level of acceptance. We have spoken harsh words, and we have managed to make mistakes sometimes. We are called to be witnesses to the gospel of belonging. And sometimes have been keepers of a gospel of exclusion. We've messed it up. And the reason for that is because we're human. We are human and we are not perfect. There is only one who is perfect and his name is Jesus Christ. Risen from the dead, the one who conquered death who tore down all the walls that separate us from God and from each other. That empty tomb forever brought down invisible walls that would prevent any of us from feeling as if we are not loved or we don't belong. If you want to belong to something that strives to make a difference in the world, may I suggest you give Jesus Christ a try. If you want to belong to something that is bigger than, than your or our or our individual shortcomings, may I suggest the church of Jesus Christ. If you want to belong to something that trumps the squibbles and the squabbles that we have, and goodness knows we have a lot, give the church of Jesus Christ a try. If you want to belong to a community where people are perfect, then by all means, don't look to the church. But if you want to belong to something that recognizes we're all messed up, that we're all going to make mistakes, but that we are loved and accepted anyway, then by all means, give Jesus a shot. Peter found that God doesn't favor one set of people over another. God doesn't wait for us to get our act cleaned up before God loves us. The gospel of belonging says that God loves us just as we are. Not as we could be, not as we should be, not as we will be, but as we are. God doesn't love us because we belong. God loves us into belonging. So may we, from this day forward, remember to proclaim the good news of the empty tomb 
forever brought down invisible walls that divide us from each other and from the love of God. What are the barriers, the invisible walls that prevent you from accepting and extending that unconditional love of Jesus Christ? In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Thanks for listening. Next week, we'll continue this series and look at Peter's first speech to those gathered in Jerusalem after Jesus' resurrection. He demonstrated that God has always been in the business of resurrection. God resurrects people and churches. See you next week.